coaches. I'm glad to be here. How about the way I'm in Kremlin? So how is podium? I met Mr. Medvedev, who was like the president. I called my friends in Moscow to find out why he was being cut. And they said, oh, I'm crazy. You don't understand why. I said, no, no. Because he is the <laughs> He is the most impression of logic. Um, he is a little shorter than Mr. Putin, and that's why, that's why. And they have the same kind of thing, over people. So today we will talk about Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Many pictures to show. Alexander Solzhenitsyn is an extremely controversial figure in today's literary arena. Uh, he is the uh, one who is being accused of being Russian Orthodox Ayatollah, of being an anti-Semitic, of being a person who does not believe in Latin and Western civilization and things like that. And today I will try to talk about this, talk about these issues and um, to discuss it with you. Also, if anyone would be interested, today after dinner, I have a nice video of Solzhenitsyn with his interview and stuff, and we can we can talk about He was born in the family, very well family in South Russia. However, he was over any, any um, um, encyclopedia, Western encyclopedia, encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, I will tell you that he was born in a family of very low means and he, uh, he is in the very same conditions of his life. Um, however, that's not the case. I think it's all time. We're trying to figure out that. People did well in the Soviet Union with could could make it. But no, his father, he was a philology scholar, started uh -huh. a scholar of Russian language. However, however, because he was a member of the Imperial Army, uh, the family was trying to keep it as a secret because just for being a, a relative to somebody who served on the Tsar uh, could be. In many cases, a death sentence, a uh, death sentence. <clears throat> um, Yannick Solzhenitsyn, uh, he was nine years old, he barely escaped arrest because he was in a, in a bread queue. Uh, and the first time this was prison because he was just a small date, uh, because they were talking about the shortage of bread, which is a logical kind of thing to talk about in the wrong bread queue. <laughs> 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 But uh, others were all sent to uh, to Gulag. So in 1945, his career was uh, he studied mathematics and physics, which saved his life as a hero several times after. Um, 
because um, he, um, he was drafted to the Soviet Army in 1941 and became an officer, a captain of artillery. And um, uh, he was stationed in East Prussia uh, at the, um, in May of 1945, just like several days before the victory. Uh, and he was arrested by the KGB, interrogated him, and got eight years of imprisonment for just writing letters to his friend, in which he would call Stalin Middle and Stash and uh, Master, which probably was, was not true in more cases. Uh, but so he got, he got that. Um, he, however, remembers very well that time because in, in, in Gulag Archipelago, which is major work, uh, he's writing that arrest is a self-defining moment, it's a most important moment for people back in the Soviet Union. And that was the most important and self-defining moment for him. Uh, also speaking about this Russia, because in so short of time, so I will try to back everything as much as I can. Uh, he was the only one in the Soviet leadership who uh, directly accused Soviet armies of liberators of having a small crime on the territory of East Russia, on the territory of Poland, Lithuania, and Germany itself. Uh, he, he wrote about gang rapes of German women, which sometimes they would be gang raped to death, uh, about uh, the, the uh, marauding and, 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 and robberies and thefts of, of, of uh, property of, of German, uh, German people. And others. Uh, so his, his uh, idea was that it's also part of failure, part of great repentance that, that the Russian people and people other people of Soviet Union should go through. Uh, he was uh, lucky enough to meet uh, when he was um, released from Gulag, so he was sentenced in 1945. He was staying in the Gulag Archive in 1953. He was released from Gulag one week before, and actually was uh, uh, before the death of Stalin. And he landed up in uh, Kazakhstan in exile after eight years, which is the beginning of everything. So he was sent to exile and in Kazakhstan. Uh, and he arrived there exactly on the day of Stalin's death. And what I remember myself being uh, uh, while living in the Soviet Union, uh, in the Department of Labor, which I which I worked for my job, work was kind of overstated on active in the Soviet Union. But I was uh, my colleague, his name was Victor Sumana, he was from Rezan, that same very town to which Solzhenitsyn later returned back from exile. And he was he was a neighbor of Solzhenitsyn's wife. And when Solzhenitsyn was arrested, he was already married to Natalia Reshutovska. Um, and Reshutovska, when he was arrested, she divorced him right away. And he made him enough to divorce, he wouldn't need the consent of a husband if the husband is already in Gulag. Then you need to divorce your husband, and it's done automatically because he was many of the people. And so she divorced him and married another man. I can you imagine Solzhenitsyn in 1956 when he was already, his sentence was unknown and he was so called rehabilitated legally. Uh, he returned back to his house in Rizan to find out that his wife is living with another husband 
And he was uh, he lived in a small bathhouse, a small bathhouse. No, he got money in most places in the Soviet Union. So he lived in the bathhouse. And my friend Victor, uh, he wasn't that time, 12 years old. And he would all the time sit there and watch him writing. And he was writing just on the on the back, on the back. Uh, all the time he was uh, an, an extremely, was extremely productive. He would work from the dawn to the dusk, uh, sitting there near that, that, that house, uh, working on a rusted car. And amazingly enough, that now at the age of 89, um, when he cannot move by himself, he has a, a problem with his spine, and uh, he, however, is working up to 20 years a day on uh, editing of his works, which would be 30 volumes, 30 volumes which he wants to see before he dies, before he dies. And so in uh, <clears throat> then his previous wife, Natalia Rzhitowska, she also authored, I think she didn't write it, but, but this name was on there, and then a very slanderous uh, kind of book, which everybody was forced to read uh, in the Soviet Union, which was called my husband Sanya, my husband Alex, uh, in which she brushes Solzhenitsyn as a lackey of the West, as a, as a person who is not a CIA agent just because nobody asked him for it. And, uh, and so that was, uh, uh, sure enough, Solzhenitsyn divorced her in 1973 and married um, Alice Nikola, uh, which was his, and she is. Uh, his his comrade, his partner, his partner. Uh, at that time, I remember I was a student in Moscow State University, and we had a lot of rallies to condemn Solzhenitsyn, to condemn Solzhenitsyn. And I remember I had a professor whom I really liked and respected. He was a professor of ancient history, of ancient Greece. And, and I asked him during this rally whether he read because he was one of the people who put the podium and said that Solzhenitsyn is an imperialist student. And then when he came back and was sitting next to me, I said, uh, Have you ever read Solzhenitsyn's book? He said, Why should I? This is garbage. Can you imagine? The person who made a speech, a long speech, depicting Solzhenitsyn, he admitted to me that he never touched his books because it's garbage. Why should I? Then they had a lot of. <coughs> a lot of um, um, uh, rallies everywhere, collective farms, the factories, uh, because Solzhenitsyn, Lodz means lie in Russia. So they were just playing words saying that, what can we say about the person whose name has the root lie? And, and that was, uh, and that actually prompted me to love Solzhenitsyn even, even when I have never read anything. <laughs> Because uh, usually it's, it's, it was very easy to make your mind. Anybody they like uh, would be usually very bad person. So when I came, came to the United States, even without reading from the Lorenz's books, I already created Lincoln as a because communists love him. So that was, uh, that was pretty easy to. <laughs> well, he was exiled to Switzerland. He was thinking that uh, because they came during the morning, they Asked him to pack. They didn't tell him where he was going. He thought he was going to Siberia. He took some dried bread and him some spices and stuff. Uh, and, and he ended up in, in uh, Bonn Airport, he sent him to Germany as a, the first was a friend of Henry Bloom. 
And he must become a document from Germany, the Switzerland. Eventually, the, the more the Avengers, the more the which um, ended up, he was writing all the time and quite a lot, quite a lot. What is his major Why we in the Bitcoin movement? Should I know and should respect his inputs? Uh, well, because he has, he is one of the most subjective, many people think, uh, or accusing him of that he is collecting, he's talking about Russian solo, but no, he is, uh, he is extremely subjective writer. He believes that the ideology movement in a nation is nothing. Uh, everything what matters, everything what matters is the line, the line between evil and goodness in your own heart. And so he believes that this is the major tragedy. It's not even nationalization of property or socialization of everything, families, and or or even anti-church uh, uh, activities of communists. But what he believed is that by enforcing ideology, common thinking for everybody, uh, the people have the blurred border in their hearts between evil and goodness between righteousness and he is deeply religion, a religious person. Uh, however, he is very he's very religious, however, he is not he is not um, an, an apologetic to Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, his uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, I remember his interview when he just came back to Russia and I didn't say <laughs> I can repeat it. Yeah, he said he said something like churches we can say that it's church's shit, um, but the Lord is everything. And so, why would he say that? Because he believed that the Russian Orthodox Church was all the time tainted by its cooperation with authorities, with all kinds of authorities. That it was uh, uh, first was a branch of, of Russian Tsarist um, government, and then became, uh, then it was purchased by communists. Not many people realized that 900,000 clerics in the Soviet Union were murdered. Uh, from 1923 to 1930. Uh, so it's, uh, they, <clears throat> that time they, they adopted the 1923. Uh, they signed sign a decree uh, that killing of a priest is not, is not murder, it is not a crime law, even a ticket will not be issued for murdering the priest, because uh, his point was that, that this would be a part of press control. Um, the one thing which we probably would disagree with Solzhenitsyn, he is, I would say, it's difficult to put labels on him. He is probably close to paleo conservatives in the United States, I would say. However, sometimes he's not, he's not consistent with this. Uh, his economics is, uh, is not, not uh, Austrian economics, definitely. Uh, but I don't think we should care much about it because, because uh, he is not an economist. He's not an economist. And, I just want to give you a quote of Mary. Uh, and the quote that it's not it's no crime to be ignorant of economics, which is after all a specialized discipline, and one that most people consider to be a dismal science. But it's totally responsible to have allowed the simplest opinion of economics while remaining in the state of ignorance. And what Solzhenitsyn, for his credit, we should, we should uh, acknowledge that he all the time is saying, I'm not an economist. I uh, uh, just, uh, my views of economics are everybody's own. So I, I agree completely with him, and I think that what he did, uh, that his 
civil management, personal management is not in the field of understanding supply and demand. It's just the same, some people say, how can you say that? The same thing, I, I don't know whether my dentist is a Australian communist, I don't much, because that's not his functional right. And uh, what Solzhenitsyn is, he's definitely for free markets. He is, uh, there's several quotes of him saying that, that you cannot, for example, you cannot separate um, the, the human rights from, from the economic freedom. He is saying that the freedom, freedom to think, the freedom to write, to say what you want, is the same as the freedom to sow, freedom to plant, the freedom to manufacture things. And so he understands that. However, he is um, uh, uh, being uh, a deeply religious person. He talks about greed, about uh, um, to some extent, actually justified, but uh, he quotes all the time Lenin about the rule which would be so by capitalists to communists, because communists would not have a rule, not have to make a rule, uh, to hang these capitalists. So capitalists would be, so he's uh, he saying that this is then. This is Gulag, the subject of his life. What I think Solzhenitsyn should be really praised for and for what he will be remembered is for his depiction of Gulag, the most powerful system of, of uh, uh, perfect killer state created by Lenin and Stalin. Uh, and that was, uh, this is just a, a map of, of the Soviet Union with its extermination camps. Extermination. Uh, overall, according to Solzhenitsyn, there's 61 million people murdered in this gulag. 61 million people murdered in this gulag, which, according again to his calculations, is more than killed by all governments, starting with Genghis Khan, ending with Adolf Hitler combined. Uh, well, now it looks like uh, people say south of Soviet Union, China, they also killed about 50 million people. People in many other <coughs> communist countries uh, also known for mass murder. However, however, I think that this failed description of Gulag is is really um, it's really uh, very interesting, and that's the only source we still got uh, the full source about Gulag. There are many books written about Gulag. However, our Solzhenitsyn deal with them with the four volumes of. Gulag Archipelago, he still had very much memory life. He is trying also to think it over. Why it happened? Why so many people were murdered for no reason? He, he came up with reasons. And these reasons would be one reason to create a new Soviet man. That means the man who wouldn't have any distinction or ability to, to distinguish between evil, between evil and goodness. Um, that would be a person who would be yes man to anybody in power, giving any kind of orders. And, we, uh, and I remember maybe about 15 years ago, Hans wrote a very interesting, <coughs> a very interesting piece about slavery, that private slavery is better than socialized slavery, that Gulag was a type of socialized slavery, that the idea of Gulag was to have forced labor to build the Soviet Union, to industrialize Soviet Union. And sure enough, when Gulag was in its height of its murderous uh, activity, at that time, Soviet Union displayed the highest rates of economic growth in the world. Uh, so the more people would be killed, the, the, the better others would, would work. 
So we have a portfolio he wrote uh, an interesting piece um, on, on slavery, also comparing the South of the United States with the Soviet Union, saying that in the South of the United States, um, the slaves were kept uh, because they had capital value to their homes, while in the Soviet Union, uh, the slaves were extended. So Jameson reasonably now that he, he was thinking about the same issues. However, he is, his point is that, um, that it, is, it is not to believe uh, that, that slaves in the Soviet Union, that concentration camp, were created to produce something. He said that it was not only gold to be produced, not only coal, not only uranium, but it would be uranium and death, gold and death. And as a production of death, that was a very efficient type of production. Efficient type of production. Because here they were talking about, you can even think about the marginal productivity of, of slaves. Uh, and from his point of view, instead of killing people in their beds, that would be the cheapest thing, they would transport them to, throughout the whole, the whole empire. Um, for them to work until they can, and then perish when they already are not good for work. For work. So that's then uh, in the United States. In the United States, um, Solzhenitsyn got the reputation of kind of a Franklin nut. So it uh, looks like it's, it's already a very, uh, very honorable, honorable thing to get. Uh, because most of his Harvard commencement letters, uh, Harvard commencement letters, he, he, uh, uh, he was saying young Americans in Harvard that many of their professors are actually uh, hostages to idols of communism, to idols of, of socialism, to other idols of ideologies, which again are focused on blurring the distinction between people and goodness. Many However, accused Solzhenitsyn of becoming a neocon <coughs> because Solzhenitsyn definitely he wholeheartedly supported Vietnam War. He, uh, he made he was making a point in several of his speeches in the United States and United Kingdom, saying that that uh, to withdraw from Vietnam that means to give up millions and millions of Vietnamese and Cambodians and people who whom we um, who we made loyal to ourselves, people who believed in us, and then we left them out in the cold and they were slaughtered like pigs. And um, then, uh, amazingly now, that even today, Solzhenitsyn is, is supporting war in Iraq. War in Iraq. He is uh, he's not supporting democracy making. That's somewhere here is a good man. That's a quote from here. Um, he called it airbrain project for democracy everywhere. From another hand, uh, Solzhenitsyn believes that, that the very fact that Saddam Hussein not even 11% of his people is good enough to do to, to, to what, what was done. Uh, then, um, and that's because I'm afraid of time, so I'll talk about those controversial issues. Um, <coughs> Then, uh, many people think that he is uh, he became a kind of a stooge for Putin. For Putin. No, this is not true. Definitely. Um, he is not critical of Putin, that's sure, but he's not apologetic of him either. Uh, Mr. Putin visited him at his house 
and the presenter came at state pride, so state pride is the highest, highest sign of merit in national federation. And Mr. Solzhenitsyn, when asked about that, uh, his point was that I don't think this prize that Putin would give it to me from himself, but it was a, it was a collegiate decision of some big commission. And so he, he doesn't see why not. Uh, then uh, uh, he thinks that the being a nationalist, he is not mild nationalist, I would say. Uh, he is not a Putin's type of nationalist. Uh, he, is, uh, he, is, he was very much against the bloodbath uh, of Bosnia and, Bosnia, and uh, against bombing Yugoslavia and you know, bombing Belgrade. He, he believed that, that the whole West betrayed Serbs. Uh, then, uh, what else he was thinking of um, about today? His, uh, uh, his, um, he became very critical of um, George W. Bush and uh, his administration for spreading the democracy all around the world, for encircling Russia with uh, NATO, um, and many other things like that. Um, however, uh, he believed when he returned back in Russia. Russia. He had a TV program. TV program. This TV program, you, if you would watch it, and I watched a lot of it and tape, it was kind of a praise of the West mostly. Praise of the West. He has a, uh, he did some research on local self-government in Switzerland mostly, in Switzerland, as well as in the state of, uh, there were one particular in the neighboring state of Maine, and he believed that, that this would be an ideal model for Russia to come. Self-government, self-government. We accept the government. However, uh, 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 local government with a lot of powers, but however, under strict control of the people, under strict control of the people. Uh, then uh, another, I think, very interesting part of that is that Solzhenitsyn is very well known in medical circles because he was he was describing in most of his work life of people and cycle of people under extreme conditions, under extreme conditions. And, uh, and uh, uh, many of, of medical doctors, for example, Mark Label, or NYU, or Tom Tubarich from Charles Hopkins University, uh, they avoid medical doctors and they look at, at the diagnosis and history of disease development as depicted in the same cancer ward by Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn developed the stomach cancer and from 1951 to 1953. Um, there were several emissions of, of, of cancer and he would um, uh, 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 operate uh, in a uh, prison hospital. However, it worked out as a good look at his. Uh, what Solzhenitsyn is right, and he's, he's saying that what for him was interesting, the suicides in the Gulag. There were very few, very few. The only people who would suggest who would, who would commit suicide would be devoted communists. Because his point was that when they would be arrested, there was something would just hold them, be mixed up in their, in their head. They wouldn't understand it. Just, just an awful food. And that people, and many of them, would walk out of their barracks under the, under the fire of, of, 
of sentries, uh, of, of KGB guards, uh, as well as many foreigners, foreigners, because Russian people, he thought that they considered this gulag, this Stalinism, as a huge calamity of enormous proportion. However, that would, they would not think that this calamity would be uh, would be directed against them. They would not take it personally. They would not take it personally. And another issue, which which also became quite controversial, was his book, 200 Years Together, about history of Jews and Russians. Um, and you know, just to go a little bit into history, that in Russia there were no Jews before the end of the 18th century. At the end of the 18th century, uh, 1792, there was something called Third Division of Poland. Third Division of Poland. And a huge chunk of Eastern Poland became part of the Russian Empire. And it came with about 1 million and 100,000 of Jews. And that created a lot of tension in, in Russian society, which never dealt with, with uh, such an influx of other culture, of other people. And uh, uh, because of he touched, his point was yes, that's that's cool. That's the most controversial part of, of the book. And it prompted a lot of accusations of anti-Semitism because, uh, because his point was that many, as you probably know, many of the Bolshevik leaders of communist leaders were Jewish by origin. And, and so she explains why, because Jews was, were persecuted in the Tsarist Empire. And uh, for them, it was natural to migrate into opposition and to the most radical part of this opposition. Uh, and then, then you look at the Soviet government, then uh, also uh, people like Trotsky, Zimonic, Kamin, Lenin, so uh, were um, Jewish. And so, from his point of view, however, we should not blame Jews. We should, uh, Jews should, should kind of look into their own soul and see where this this border, this line between evil and goodness goes. And Russians should also repent for arsonist peasants, for crazy revolutionary soldiers, for the savage sailors, as he wrote, because majority of revolutionary states simply were Russians. Russians. Uh, today, however, there are plenty of plenty of uh, articles in the most recent of the Times, a little bit supplement by Zinovich Zinik. He accuses him squarely of anti Semitism, of being a Yakovlev, of the right, and uh, being a uh, person who would like to replace one type of one type of thought control with another type of thought control. Um, but I think that it's mostly, it's mostly because of his. There's nobody right wing view, so liberals are very much against him. Um, for some reason, it's also very different from our understanding of Solzhenitsyn as close to Putin. That he, um, all his life, all, you know, almost all his book, he's praising Chechens. He's praising Chechens. Uh, he believes that Chechens uh, is the nation which Russians should emulate, that they're proud uh, people, they're very proud people, people who would not. To come to a Russia like Russians And uh,
Yes, and um, his first book, and I will end with this, his first book published in this <laughs> was one day in the life of Ivan Denisovich. It was the first book published under Khrushchev openly in the magazine Novi Mir, uh, which, uh, uh, which depicted the life in Gulag. It was not of this proportion as Gulag Archipelago, but was the first to talk about uh, awful conditions uh, and, and, and mass murder and mass genocide in Gulag. In Gulag. And, uh, and I remember when I was a student, I wanted to read it. And then I found out what were the numbers of this nowhere near New World magazine and went to, went to the ladies' library and read it and ordered these this issues. And there was no social incident. Uh, what they did, can you imagine that the Russian already, they pulled four issues of this magazine, two and a half million, back to Moscow, burned them all, made a list of which was burned, which are still out there. Uh, then print a new version of that and send this back. And that was a quite a colossal kind of enterprise, can you imagine? However, then I mean, I, there was a student that was interested in that. And then I found out that almost everything that you were republishing about 13,000 issues of Pravda newspaper. Can you imagine that in the year 1932, they are printing Pravda of 1918 and replacing all copies in all libraries? Was an immense, I mean, this is a, something which would be an interesting driver. For example, this is a Stalin Yezhov, who was the chief of Gula, chief of Gula. Then, when Stalin killed Yezhov, then <laughs> and so there's uh, so plenty of pictures like that, and, and plenty of newspaper magazines. And so it was a, a country of socialism in writing. It would be funny if it wouldn't be so awful. And uh, looking for Mises in the anti capitalist mentality, here, I think you're exactly right that. That unrestricted the support of lesson their capital is the only good cure from communism, from any kind of mass murders, any kind of um, calamities, man-made calamities. And for me, socialism definitely is a, is is a, is not ideal, no ideal people, but he is simply religious, not full passion that they can other people prepare for some limitation. He's a, a, a very uh, I think focused on the inner life of people because he is a student um, and successor of Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. And amazingly, not that he even discusses it, but he is more Tolstoy or closer to Dostoevsky. <laughs> and he believes that Tolstoy is closer to himself. And Tolstoy already, unlike Solzhenitsyn, I think, who is part of conservative, but Tolstoy is closer to libertarianism. <laughs> He is clearly with us. He doesn't know about any economics because he's also not an economist, but I think he would, uh, he would agree with everything what the business is about. So this, uh, this is uh, solving this right now, and, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, he will stay uh, around for a while. So at nine o'clock, I would be happy to maybe to continue our talk and just talk about it. I have a nice video from the interview of Solzhenitsyn. We can watch that and then discuss it if you wish 
those who will be interested. Well, thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you.